Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Joe Fairless. Joe is an author, syndicator of $300 plus million dollars, uh, under control. He has a few single-family homes from his beginnings. He's the host of the podcast, The Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, which is the longest-running daily real estate podcast. And I'm actually a guest on episode 1304. Yes, you are. I enjoyed that conversation as well. That was great. Is there anything else that uh, I missed or anything you'd want to add to that? Oh, I have a philanthropic component into everything that I do, uh, either directly or indirectly. All the profits from my books, I've written a couple books, uh, go towards junior achievement to help underserved kids, and I've got some other things too. I know there's a lot of people right now that keep talking about the impending doom of this real estate crash or uh, this next bubble that's going to happen. I know you've listened to or you've had about 1,300 guests on your show and you've seen people who've went through this and you've seen people that didn't make it through it. Have you found like any sort of common mistakes? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's not a matter of the market. If you lose your property, it's a matter of your business plan and your approach that you took in my opinion I've interviewed I think almost all I I know almost 1400 uh, real estate investors and perhaps literally 1400 real estate investors I'm not sure what episode number I'm on now plus as you mentioned I've got 300 million dollars worth of apartment communities that we uh, control I have part ownership in every single one of those and I have some single-family homes so I've got not only first-hand experience and I'm actively doing deals, but also I've interviewed a whole lot of people. And the uh, result of that experience in those conversations is uh, something that I came up with. I call it the three immutable laws of real estate investing. And if we follow these laws, then regardless of the cycle, because I agree, there's going to be some market correction that comes up, that is coming up. if we follow these laws, then we're going to be all right. Uh, we certainly won't be as well as if we uh, af- if that correction did not take place, unless we've got some, unless we're hoarding cash and we're waiting on that to happen, and then we start plunking it down at the perfect moment. But I don't know when that moment's going to be. I don't have a crystal ball, and I don't pretend to know. So the three things that I have found and that I follow: one is buying for cash flow, not appreciation. People who got burned when the economy took a tank big time um, about nine or so nine to ten years ago is uh, they got burned because they bought for appreciation they did not cash flow properties if you cash have a cash flowing property and the market goes down then you might not make as much money but if you got tenants in your property they're paying rent uh, then you've got something that you can hold on to for long run now, certainly, uh, your residents might lose their jobs and not be able to pay rent, and that goes into market diver- or job diversification within the market that you select. You select a market like in Michigan, in the U.S., in Michigan, um, um, market like Flint, Michigan, where I was born, that's trouble because you've got an industry that's solely um, focused on automotive, or at least it was. They're trying to diversify now. Compare that to 
um, Dallas-Fort Worth, where you've got all sorts of different employers. So you want to find a diversified market. Um, but if you buy for cash flow, not appreciation, you'll be all right. Um, number two is if your debt becomes due whenever the market correction takes place. So if your loan becomes due in a very inopportune time, then you're going to be in trouble because you're either going to have to sell at a rock bottom price or you're going to have to get financing that's not very favorable and that could cost you the property um, or at minimum it could cost you a lot of cash flow. Uh, so putting on long-term debt or long-term financing would be the second thing to do. And then the third thing is to um, have adequate cash reserves. You know, People who got in trouble when the market correction took place the last one, uh, they uh, might have had cash flow. They might have had long-term debt. But if they didn't have this third thing, adequate cash reserves, then if four or five boilers went out at once, and they didn't have money to actually pay for those boilers, then they were out were without a property because you can't get financing very easily. Um, a private loan might cost you a whole lot, might be cost prohibitive, um, and certainly traditional financing um, is non-existent during the very, very bad time. Yeah, I know you do a five-year syndication with an exit. What would your company's policy be if, you know, say the market was on a downturn during uh, the five-year cash-out period? Well, number one, capital preservation is our first and foremost goal. And that is our priority. That is what we make all of our decisions based on. And it's once we have capital preservation in place, so meaning if, a, if and when a market correction takes place, we're going to look at what's driving this. Is it something we see as short-term or as long-term? If it's short-term, we need to get out. We're going to get out, preserve capital, and exit. Won't make nearly as much as what we thought we'd make, but um, ideally won't lose money either. And if we do lose money, we're still going to preserve as much as we can. Um, but we put, in, we put on, for the most part, long-term financing on our deals. So... That way you don't have to exit then, right? Exactly. That way we don't have to exit if we don't um, need to. Now, I said for the most part, because for uh, some deals, we'll do a bridge loan for five years, but we'll plan on ex exiting out after two years of that bridge loan. And if a market correction happens in year one or two, then we have three more years to figure something out. Whereas if we had a business plan and we planned on exiting out a loan in five years, but we had a five-year loan, you're not leaving yourself much wiggle room there. No. Um, and in terms of if a market correction or when a market correction does happen, we're going to, assuming you know capital preservation is number one, we're then going to hold for occupancy. We will decrease our rents as much as we need to while still maintaining being competitive in the market in order to maintain occupancy. Uh, what we don't want is for people to leave, lose all that income. We'll take what we can get during a market correction. We'll hold serve as long as we can, and then we'll reassess. What do you guys do with depreciation credits? And do you, do you deal those out to your investors, or do you keep them for the, the main company? Or? Yeah, we, we pass the depreciation through to our investors. So uh, in reality, we are making money on the property, but uh, technically it shows a loss on paper for our investors. 
and you know it's tax deferred so there's a catch and the catch is when we sell yeah. it gets recaptured it's not you know we're not able to magically make taxes disappear but we can magically make them deferred through you know proper uh, depreciation and cost segregation and now with a new tax code bonus depreciation for everything purchased after September of 2017 uh, there's bonus depreciation on top of that so our properties uh, will show a loss but in reality we're making money um, and we're able to do distributions to our investors the benefit to that is that those dollars can then be reinvested um, tax deferred into other things yep. and then when we sell we can look to do a 1031 exchange which would continue to defer those taxes or um, if there's not a good opportunity 1031 then you know there would be an exit and long-term capital gains tax would be paid like anything else so you've been doing this now for a bunch of years so have you found it that it's gotten a lot easier to fund your deals <laughs> easier to fund deals absolutely easier to find deals the opposite it's even with our track record, because of how competitive the market is, it's more challenging to find deals now than when I started, but whatever, it's easier to fund the deals now. I mean, there's always going to be a challenge in business, right? There's, al there's always a challenge, you know? I mean, it, we, when we don't have challenges in life or business, we're dead. So it's just a matter of what do we do to maintain a competitive uh, advantage and then evolve as a company so now yeah I mean the funding's not not a challenge I mean we have 890 units under contract right now and it's approximately a 23 million dollar raise in total between those projects yep. and it was done in seven seven calendar days and it was actually done on a weekend uh, Easter weekend so it was done on a holiday weekend um, so you know it's it's not um, not something I take lightly, though, because uh, every investor's dollar was earned through hard work, or for the most part, I imagine, through hard work, at least everyone I've spoken to. Yeah. Um, they haven't inherited it, or most 99% of them haven't inherited it. And even the ones who did, they're choosing to invest with us, um, and that's family legacy. Uh, so, you know, it's it's something that I don't take lightly, but it's also something that is not as much of a challenge as it used to be. When you're doing your first deals, where did you find all your, your, your buyers? Did you... Through, through yeah, through connections that I had. Uh, so if you're um, raising money for a deal and you haven't yet done that, then some... Um, an idea for how to do that would be as follows. One, create a spreadsheet. In that spreadsheet, have the following columns, first name, last name, how you know that person, and uh, approximate investment amount. You'll want to take that spreadsheet and put 100 names in that spreadsheet. And if you don't have 100 names, then look at your phone, look at Facebook, look at LinkedIn, find 100 names. You can find 100 names. Yeah. And then um, the key to the spreadsheet is how you know them. So you want to identify the groups of, of people or, or the groups that you're associated with yeah. where you know these, these chunks of people and then identify an influential person or a person you have a good relationship with within that group, reach out to him or her and start the conversation that way and then, it, assuming they're okay with it, mention their name when you talk to other people in the group. That will be very powerful way of raising money on your first deal because you're going in with an influencer 
and you're taking the network effect versus doing it um, on a one-off basis. Uh, how I, um, where I met my investors on my um, at the beginning was through the Texas Tech Alumni Advisory Board that I was on and still am on. Uh, I was working at an advertising agency and I worked at agencies in New York City, so I knew them through that. They're a former boss, former owner of the company, the CFO. Um, my flag football team. Yeah. I had one investor who I only knew from my flag football team. And then roommates. Uh, I High school, or shoot, um, grade school, middle school, high school, and college friend uh, invested with me. A roommate from college invested with me. And the roommate I was living with in New York City at the time invested with me. Um, so the, the different types of groups. Now, I did not do this exercise when I first got started, but um, I now... Um, suggest people do it because subconsciously I did some of it, but now that I've looked back on it, I can see the best, more effective way to do it. So you believe to get the money lined up before you get the deal? I do. I do. In in our business, absolutely, you want to get the uh, verbal interest lined up before you find the deal because if you find the deal, uh, and when I say our business, I mean, we're 150 plus units. Yeah. So if you come across a good opportunity, it's 150 plus units, that's very challenging if you don't have any financial connections to get the money for. Yeah. It's possible, but it's very challenging. And you could hurt, you will hurt your relationship with the broker or whomever sent you the opportunity if you don't close on it and it's a good deal. Therefore, if you get verbal interest, and it's verbal interest, no one's funding anything if you don't have a deal, just verbal interest, yeah, Joe, if I if you find something that meets the financial goals that I mentioned to you, absolutely, I'll take a look. I'd be interested. That's all you're looking for. Okay, great. And if we find, or when we find something like that, what range of investment would you be looking at? Just so I have an idea. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. It depends on what the deal is or what's your minimum. Or they might say, well, I've got $2 million dollars in retirement accounts. I'm looking to liquidate that. Or they might say something else. Yeah. Um, but you'll have an idea after that conversation. If you're investing in a syndication to make sure that the syndicator themselves were putting some of their skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Syndicator needs... Uh, should the syndicator invest themselves to put skin in the game? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I mean, some cases at the beginning, the syndicator might not have money to yep. do it, but uh, they could put in their acquisition fee into the deal to show alignment of interest. Um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, we, we put in at least $100,000. Uh, I personally put in at least $100,000 now in all of our deals, and you know, it shows alignment of interest. And I want in on that, too. I mean, I, 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 I want to be a limited partner and get the same returns that other limited partners are getting. I've listened to 1,000 out of 1,300 <laughs> episodes, so I, I've got. I was just looking at my phone beforehand. I'm like, how many have I got through? I got 300 left out of getting all of them done. So. Wow! Wow! <laughs> so I've got through. You most should of write them. a blog post afterwards, and and I would I would love to learn. I'd love to know what you learned from that. Other than Joe's voice is really annoying now. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in the Joe. I uh, I've invested in the well, not your most recent deal, the what, two ago, I guess now, because there's a couple that have popped up. But uh, I was wondering what your favorite book was, because you always ask everybody else. Yeah, my favorite book is the one that I'm reading at that moment. 
because I'm then applying the advice from that book into my business. And I was just reading this. I was walking around my backyard right before our call. Uh, there we go. Uh, that, Small yeah. Giants. Small Giants, yeah, by Bo Burlingham. Uh, in Small Giants, the whole premise is you can have a, a financially successful company without growing hundreds of thousands of employees or even hundreds of employees. Um, and he gave three imperatives to follow to create a culture, a good culture. One is to have a higher purpose with the company. Two is to uh, provide unexpected moments of joy for your employees. And three is to have all your employees like each other and connect with each other. And there's some tactical ways you can do that. So I, I, I would say that one's top of mind right now. You do only uh, hard copy books? You're not into the audio or any of that? Correct. If somebody wanted to invest with you or wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way to do so? I, you can go to investwithjoe.com and you can fill out a form and we can establish a relationship. That's if you're an accredited investor looking to invest at least 50000 Perfect. Well, thank you for your time, Joe. I really appreciate it. Grateful for connecting with you again and thanks for having me on the show.